Hey Chili's, I hope everyone is having an awesome week, feeling good. I'm feeling excited because it's August. It's basically October. We're getting to fall, baby. I cannot wait. Your guest today, she was super awesome. We had the wonderful ZG Burnett. Uh, she talked all things spooky with us. She is putting out a book soon. It's called The Preppy Witch Primer. And if after listening to the episode, you really enjoyed it, you want to support the book, you can support that at her Patreon, which is just patreon.com forward slash preppy witch primer. So definitely check that out. This episode was so much fun. And oh, I do want to mention one other thing. Uh, We did have some connectivity issues while recording. I like to say it was the ghosts, you know, getting in there, getting involved with with the recording. Um, So please forgive any kind of skips that you might hear. Just happens sometimes. But other than that, enjoy the episode. Real chills with Meg Getz. Real scary. Real silly. Real stories. Hey everybody, welcome to Real Chills. I'm super excited for our guest today. She's been a guest on Strange Familiars, Six Degrees of John Keel, and has had a story read on Monster Fuzz, the very talented ZG Burnett. How are you? Hi, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited you could do the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we always start the show the same way in asking, where do you stand on the paranormal? Are you more of a skeptic or a true believer? I've been thinking about this because I've been working my way back through your archive quite a bit since your crossover with Tim in Strange Familiars. And (laughs) it's... uh, I'm trying, I've been trying to think of the best way to say it. It's not so much a matter of believing for me. It's, you know how in The Mummy, when Evelyn says, if I can see it and I can touch it, then it's real. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I always tried to go by that principle. And because I have seen and been touched and touched things in the paranormal, then it's real. So I don't know about believing, but for me, it's a fact. It's something that I deal with on my day to day. I love that. I think that's, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's where a lot of people stand where um, maybe they want to be skeptical, but then they have an experience where they just can't deny that there's something out there. Exactly. Awesome. Well, let's get into your stories. Sure. Well, you had someone on a while back who lives in Philadelphia and I, I forget his name exactly, but he was talking about seeing figures from history walking the streets, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which got me thinking of when I went to to school in Boston and my first ever day at my, in my dormitory, I was looking out over the street and I saw a woman in full 18th century garb holding a basket, walking down the street. So of course my brain was thinking it's a ghost. No, it was a reenactor. (laughs) that's really funny yeah that happens a lot in philly too (laughs) they dress up here for sure (laughs) and where my dorm was was right near the boston common so i saw that often Mm -hmm. and i had i even had friends who were reenactors and interpreters at uh, on the common and different historic sites so i got really used to it (laughs) in a way uh, yeah i mean being in philadelphia you know but one night i was walking across the common and I have to emphasize for all non 
non-Massachusetts, non-Boston listeners that it's common singular. Oh, I would have done that <laughs> in this episode, probably. Okay. I hate to be that that jerk from Massachusetts, New England. <laughs> tweet that out right off the bat, but I, it's just it's a bugbear, and so it's just common, not commons. Anyway, the I was walking across the common at night, and I don't recommend this for anyone, but I was a freshman in college and an idiot, so I was walking home. <laughs> Uh, around 10 30 11 o'clock at night and that's not safe don't do it right. <laughs> but luckily it was a night where there weren't that many people around so I just beelined it up the hill going there's a pathway that leads right up to steps that go to the state house the state house is right across the street it's very majestic and scenic as you walk up and as I was walking I was on alert I was just kind of keeping an eye out just because you don't know who's going to drop out from behind a trash can. Yeah. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a, the shape of a man in a 18th century jacket with the hat. It, the, funny, the funniest thing about it was that it wasn't a tricorn. It was more of a, like a broader brimmed hat. It was bigger. Okay. And that would be earlier like early 18th century. So not so much the revolutionary time period, but probably like 16 or I'm sorry, 1730s to 50s, more kind of getting closer to the Cavalier period that will the fashion anyway. I saw this out of the corner of my eye and I just thought, wait a second, <laughs> there are no freedom trail tours at night. And it wasn't right. It, it, we have there are tours that people do for like haunted happenings tours around Halloween, and I think they're actually extending them into the summer months now because why not? Sure, yeah. But the I just kind of stood stock still, like oh, because of course I looked again, nothing was there. But I I saw Whoa. I definitely saw the outline at least of a full body, and I remember it specifically because he was it was white, like it wasn't. The jacket was white. His brim was, it looked like it had kind of a shine to it, but I remember there was like red, like there was red piping on his hat with a red feather. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so yeah, cool. And I have a very fragmentary image of it in my mind, but it hasn't changed. And this was, this was 2010. So like in 12 years, it's still the same image. It hasn't changed. The cheesy Jane Austen romance lover in me is like, oh, that was your meet cute with a ghost. Well, Who knows? Well, <laughs> I I did kind of take that take that edge to because I was scared. It, it got me a little bit, and yeah. it was already kind of dicey walking around at night. Even though Boston's a fairly safe city, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And so my dorm where I was living was just right across the, the uh, like kind of around the corner. And so I said out loud because I was alone. I, uh, would you like to escort me home? Whoa. Just, you know, to get a kick out of it. And uh, my hand, I had my hand by my side. My left hand got all warm and tingly. Oh man. And I just kind of felt a little tug. I don't know if I was imagining it or what. But I definitely felt the tingle. So I just kind of went up the stairs and around it. And I felt, 
I did feel as though there was someone leading me the whole time. I felt like there was a presence next to me. And so when I got to my dorm, I stopped a little bit before the door so the security guards wouldn't see me talking to myself. Right. And I said, essentially, thank you, have a good night. And I had just this feeling of him going. So wow. I don't know what that was about uh, as far as who it could have been because that area has changed so much. It's one of, it's downtown Boston. So it's one of the older areas of the city. And we do know that there are, I mean, there are unmarked graves on Boston Common. We know that. Right. As well as many, there is a small cemetery on the far side, but there, they also once in the 19th century found like an older cemetery while they were excavating something else. So who, who knows? Who knows who that could have been or what? But it was, that's, that was probably my first experience that I had, paranormal experience living in Boston that I had. Did you feel scared at all, like during, like being walked home? No, it was less than a quarter mile. And it was just kind of like, okay, so we're going, (laughs) no, because it, it was a warm, nice feeling. It was like someone holding my hand. And I know that it sounds cuckoo bananas, you know, but that's really how it felt. And I haven't really had that kind of experience before or since. I believe you. I I believe in intuition. I believe we know the difference when things are, you know, in our brains versus like an outside source. So I just love it. I love that story. I love like that they're still chivalrous, like after death. I just think that's so cute. I wonder if he does that like anytime he sees like a woman, like at night in the, in the common, not commons. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wonder that too, because truly to all, uh, to any, I mean, probably to any modern eye too, you see a young single woman walking a home at, at night in a dangerous place. You want to, I mean, any, any decent man, would want to keep an eye on her or at least like offer to walk her home. Yeah. I mean, even, even as a woman, I feel like when I see a, like someone, a, a girl walking home alone, I'm like, where are her friends? <laughs> like yeah. I hope someone's watching out. Are we, are you also 30? I think I heard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. So I am now at the age where I'm like, where are your people? Yeah. Yeah. We never, cause I, I mean, I, Philly is relatively safe. It's getting worse by the day. I feel like, but I went to like a big party school and we never separated. We were always like a unit. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it was a dumb thing for me to do. It was, yeah. Oh, not to judge you. I've definitely had my nights where I, I was like, I can handle it, you know, watching a scary movie late and yeah. <laughs> and you were obviously fine. You had a ghost spirit to help you out. So Yes. And I wondered that afterwards too, like how, uh, if there was a danger and if he was protecting me from it. Yeah. That's, that's spooky. I was thinking that too. Like what would happen if, if you encountered danger, like maybe he was keeping it away though. That's cool. Yeah. I, I wouldn't doubt it. It's, uh, it's, it's going up to an area where the, where the state house is, is a, is an area called Beacon Hill. And that's one of the oldest areas. You get all the beautiful homes there, like the brick buildings and everything that you see on all the postcards. So it's uh, it's an interesting place for sure. It, it's um, it used to be a so it used to be three different hills, mm-hmm. and a lot of the 
earth when the colonists came, when the uh, Puritans came and settled there, they moved a lot of it out. So it used to be a lot more craggy and treacherous than it is. It's very paved and nice and cobblestone now. But what they used that earth for was to move it all into Back Bay, where the Back Bay area of Boston is. It's kind of like at the foot of the flat of the hill near the Charles River. Mm. And that was where a few years later, my second Boston experience happened. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear about it. So I was working with uh, this, it, it was called the Boston Furniture Archive, and it's still up online, but I don't know if they're still doing the program. But it was a, a fellowship with them during grad school in 2016. So we would go around to different historic homes and different locations and catalog their Boston-made furniture. It was really fun. Oh, My, that's such a cool, that's so cool. Yeah, it was really fun. I was a, my one friend of mine and I, who's a really big deal associate curator now, she and I still call it furniture camp because that's really what it's like. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there were four of us and uh, it was, and now we look back on it, a lot of it was shared trauma because we were in historic homes in the summer, which meant that none of them were air conditioned. Oh no, that's a nightmare. <laughs> And you were like getting down in the dust and on the floor and looking at joins and hardware and taking notes. And we, we even had like a, a traveling photo studio so we could take pictures of these things because they had never been looked at before otherwise. Right. But onto the ghost. <laughs> we were in a, this house museum called the Gibson House, which is on Beacon Street in Boston. And it it's a really beautiful home. If you are interested in the, I mean, I know the, what is it? The Gilded Age show that I hear is bad is on now. Oh, I haven't <laughs> but, seen that. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah not, nor have I, I don't have the, uh, the channel, but they, it's that era. It's right. very Gilded Age. And I think it was built in 1837 and seven generations of the same family lived in this house. And the way they've kept it is very much the same as when, the people live there mm -hmm. and I have a theory about that so in all my work in historic homes is that when houses are kept pristine in the way or even close to the way that it was when the ghost lived in it as people that gives them more license and makes them bolder yeah and helps them draw energy from from more from the area because it solidifies the with that in mind we were um we were cataloging the furniture and it was it must have been a hundred plus degrees because this is an entire i think it's three or four stories townhouse mm -hmm. and we got to the point where we couldn't we couldn't work in the upper floors because it was just too hot and i was assigned to the dining room where I had kept all of the shutters closed because there was no AC. You couldn't really open the windows. So the best we could do is to keep the heat out was to close the shutters. And like, if you, you can look it up online, they have pictures of it. It's a really well-run museum and they even have dinner still in this, uh, this the museum have parties. I haven't been to one, but I'm, I plan That's to. That's so cool. It's fun. And they have this giant, I think it, it was walnut, server like huge it's the size of a normal apartment wall 
because everything is over the top, ornate, decorated. It's very Victorian. I love it. And one day I had, it was complete darkness in there because you can't, I didn't even want to turn on the lights because it was that hot. And we had been told by the woman who runs it, like she will be in her office and hear footsteps above her head. Things will move. It, it, she hears voices it, from different parts of the house, which is all explicable, but also we were all spooky. We're all spooky nerds. Creepy, yeah, in a, in a spooky house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, we were all on board. And we prank each other a couple of times. We had uh, this, this is, I'll get to the, the real story. But one time we did find some Halloween decorations and my friend and I put one in this giant uh, cupboard press upstairs and just waited. Mm-hmm. And eventually we heard our colleague just scream because we put a skeleton, a hanging skeleton ghost <laughs> thing in just that, in the this press. This so is so fun. Over. I want to go yeah. to how spooky house camp. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. But back to the, sorry. No, that's okay. Trailed off there. So it was a day very much like today. It was humid and hot, terrible. And I was looking at my, I, I had like half of my body in this giant settee, looking at joins and taking notes and, you know, trying to find like a maker's mark. As I was doing that, there was uh, a shaft of light that was coming in from the front parlor area where the staircase and the front door was, which was really my only source of natural light. And as I was doing it, I caught out of the corner of my eye, a woman standing there. I just kind of ignored her. I thought it was one of my coworkers, mm-hmm. but she stood there for a good, like a good 30 seconds. I, ju- I didn't even look because I was submerged in this furniture. Mm-hmm. As soon as I saw that she wasn't going anywhere, I kind of, I shifted because I had to crawl out of this thing and then she was gone. So I, I had thought that it was my colleague coming to tell me something and just waiting until I was done, but no. and. I just kind of looked around. I didn't feel anything, but I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to keep working. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what were you looking at when she showed up? Did you mention that? I was in the Giants. It was a server. That big. Okay. Cause I'm wondering if she had any connection to that. Maybe she was like, you're doing it wrong or something, you know? <laughs> That's often the vibe I would get. I don't like having worked in historic homes a lot. I've kind of learned how to filter these things because I mean I live in New England you live in Philadelphia we live we live we live in a very haunted area spooky places yeah (laughs) yeah as far as old buildings go anyway and so I just get used to that as I move along in these places but the feeling I got from her into the archives of the house so there were two Rosamunds that lived there one was the last Gibson female Gibson, who died in the 50s, I believe, the 50s or 60s. And then her mother was also a Rosamond. I was thinking it was probably one of them, one or both, just checking in, like Keeping you said, checking in on what I was up to. Yeah, and of course, because it's 90 degrees, I was in like, again, a, a moment of <laughs> of different mores between the centuries, I'm like half naked essentially to her right. because I was wearing shorts and a tank top and sweating. And <laughs> so I don't know, she just saw my legs sticking out, my bare legs. 
like a hussy. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? Ankles and everything. Just <laughs> I know. I know. Who knows? Who knows who will come to the door? <laughs> That's what I would get a lot, especially on that job, because m- many of the projects involved the four of us working in different places at a time or different parts of the house where Ugh. unless it was a particularly big piece or we were photographing together we'd all be in different spots I love yeah I love what you mentioned about how keeping it pristine kind of helps because we talked about this we had a Gettysburg episode a long time ago And Gettysburg is so, so haunted. And obviously a lot of bloodshed probably contributed to that. But the town and the places are so preserved as they were at the time of the Battle of Gettysburg that it just kind of feels like, to me, I'm like, if I was a ghost and I died, it would be easier to realize that if things change. But when things stay exactly as they were, I think they just keep doing what they were doing you know Mm -hmm. that like your lady checking in on you probably was like who's this person in my house you know what I mean it's just that they don't make the connection as easily yes and if I think it, it depends too on the house and who it is because a lot of the time I get a feeling of checking in but also just making sure I don't mess with anything because really (laughs) In that setting, at least for this for this particular person, I feel like it was like there's residual and there are sentient beings. There are all those different layers. I feel like with her and based on other experiences I've had in historic homes, these people just want to know that you're not trying to steal their stuff or not doing you're not damaging anything. That's and so funny. As long as they know that you're there to to help, I think that that's kind of the feeling I got because it really did feel like. Uh, like a lady and no one can see the your listeners can't see me but just like looking no, no. in like hmm. <laughs> yeah hmm. that reminds me of a story my brother told me so i i don't know if you've gotten I tell a story about my house growing up was haunted. My little brother is like a maintenance guy. He like fixes things or he putters around. He's like, he's 23. But when I see him, he reminds me of like a 50 year old. <laughs> the way He just putters around. Um, and he was fixing something in one of our rooms and it had a mirror that like from your waist up, you can see, and he was messing around, you know, all the tools out and he looks up in the mirror and he sees a body, like a full person in the mirror. And his first, his brain is like, oh, that's like dad or brother and goes back down and then remembers like he's alone. And when he looks back up, it's just gone. I do remember. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. Like they're just, what you doing? What you working on? <laughs> Nosy <Yeah>. spirits. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to tell you, I have a mental image of your house because I am so interested in historic homes and all that. Really? It's like pretty much like like antiques. I'm, I work for an antiques and art magazine. So it's like my job to know these things. That's and, awesome. Yeah, I just have such a, a mental image of your house because I've never been to the Poconos, but I have, have an idea. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. I wish I did not grow up in a historic house, which is probably why I'm so drawn to them. Oh, I mean, I love them. I think because I, it feels, it's weird. I'll go into like, you're describing Victorian or those old, old houses. I feel at home there. I'm like, this is my jam and my house. It's not like crazy. It's not like Victorian. It doesn't have like, it's, it's just like a nice little settler's house. You know what I mean? Like big wood floors, Mm -hmm. tiny doors, but it's not 
I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I don't want to like hype it up to the listeners. Like if they're thinking of like a hotel, tell Transylvania or like, you oh, know no. what I mean? Like those like cone tops, it's nothing like that. It's still just like a normal house, but it. Yeah. Yours is an earlier house, right? Like it's like 1700s or earlier. Yeah. Pre, yep. Yeah. Pre-revolutionary war. That's cool. I prefer those types of houses. Honestly, I'm not a Victorian gal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So that's, that's pretty much all that happened at the Gibson house story. If my colleagues had any experiences, they didn't really share them. Oh, wow. But yeah, so that's Back Bay. Back Bay is kind of a newer part of Boston. Going back toward the common and actually across the street from where I was living, there's a private library called the Boston Athenaeum. That's a humanities library uh, with members. And if you're ever in Boston, I really recommend going in because in addition to being a membership library, they also operate as a museum. So you can take tours. You, there are certain areas that are open to visitors and it's, it's a really cool building and quite unique for what it is, especially uh, nowadays. But you may have heard of it from the Atlas Obscura article that talked about the body, the book bound in human skin. Yeah, yeah. Heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. And it is there and it is human skin. That's not an urban legend. Ugh. But the experiences I had, I've, I've worked and been a member there probably for about 10 years now. And when I was a member, I, I had some weird things that happened as far as being in remote parts of the library because it's bigger than it looks from the outside. And I'll give you kind of a topography. There's, a, there's like the main area, which is the library, and it's about three floors that are subdivided into galleries. So really more like five. And it... If you go on the far side of the Athenaeum, you can look down into the Granary Hill burial ground where John Hancock is buried, Paul Revere is buried, Benjamin Franklin's parents are buried there. So it's a big tourist attraction as well for that. But one thing about the Athenaeum is that when it was built in the 1820s, I believe, they had to move some of the burial ground. Great. <laughs> So there are, probably at this point, I think there are thousands of bodies buried there because many of them are family crypts. And I read an account at one point of some old Boston guy with, you know, the family lineage being taken down there by his grandfather in the 50s or 60s, where essentially he watched his grandfather open up the family crypt because he could do that. Sure. Climb in and start making room for himself. That's amazing. <laughs> Brave. <laughs> Brave and just kind of like, oh, I gotta do it. It's coming up. <laughs> and so that gives you an idea of the sentimentality that is, is expressed in kind of sure. these, uh, these ramen areas <laughs> and places. But in addition to the public facing part, there's also a large repository for books that they don't put in on the regular shelves called the drum. Mm -hmm. And the drum, I'll get to a little bit later because that was that's a bit more intense, but there's also 
two lower basement. There's a basement called Upper Pilgrim. And you can actually look right out onto Paul Revere's grave. If you're sitting at one of the tables in the in Upper Pilgrim, it's pretty cool. And then there's Lower Pilgrim, which has a door leading into the lower part of the drum. And so it's all interconnected. But even below all of that is another basement. And I didn't know this as a member because I was only able to get the clearance when I started working there. So no one really goes in there, only maintenance guys, because that's where everything is, or if you're in security or whatever. And they had cobblestones on the bottom of the sub-sub basement that were mud brick. They were not red brick, which wow. tells you how old they were. And you could see in big trenches, kind of, and little holes where they had filled in crypts. Wow. In addition to that, there was a really rusty, completely not safe ladder that led right up to the top floor of the cemetery. Like there was a grate and everything. And it has since been replaced. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> because it has not, it, like, if someone, if someone was to, to go down there and get stuck, like, I, I used to always think of the zombie apocalypse. If I had to hide down there, that would be like, oh no. <laughs> Not a <laughs> chance. <laughs> go back down. Yeah. But so nothing ever happened really there. But it did, something did happen in Lower Pilgrim. I was walking, just kind of doing rounds at that point because I was working security. And I saw my first ever, up until that point, shadow figure there. Oh, geez. Yeah, and it was, so the way that these are, they're the old rolling racks with just mm -hmm. books and books, and people would always talk about hearing voices or footsteps, but it's, you know, it's a big cavernous old building, and sound does carry in this building, but people would talk about, especially in that room, the big old bookshelves cycling in and out and, and opening and closing when no one was there. And those things are heavy. Like you really wow. have to crank them in order to make them move. So I knew that, that hadn't happened to me. But one night as I was walking past an area where there's an office, I, it was later in the evening. So it was usually when, it was around when people are gone because it stays open until about eight, I think. Mm -hmm. And I saw some movement that caught my eye and I stopped and looked and I thought it, would have been the um, head of maintenance because that was his office. But I just saw the shape of a head and like part of a shoulder peek out from behind one of the bookshelves, pause, and then go back. Like, you know how it's described, blacker than black, absorbs the light, no facial features, just a head and part of a shoulder and just look and then go back. I think it's what I've, I've heard keepers, people call them I hate that. I, I've never heard that <laughs> before. Oh. I'm sure that's what they call them. I've heard of the action, but I, that freaks me out. It was pretty jarring. I, I had never experienced that. I had never experienced a shadow figure before, Yeah. But because I'm into paranormal, I knew what it was. And I don't know, 
I have, I can't do the, the haunted house attractions and everything mm-hmm. because this is my life. Right. And, <laughs> and I, when I did do one a couple of years ago, I found out I have a real flight or fight, fight or flight <laughs> mechanism. Like, nice. And for some reason this time, the fight mechanism kicked in because I was like, I'm on the job. And I right. went, I went to the, the bookshelf, which was at the farthest end of the wall. And I looked nothing. So that was my, my first ever baby's first shadow. Wow. You were so brave. Shadow figures. Did you feel scared? And that was just your reaction. It was, it was more because it happened so quickly. I didn't have time to process. I was just like, what the hell was that? (laughs) Yeah. It could have been a person. You could have been there with a stranger. Well, that's the thing. I didn't know. I thought maybe someone was messing with me. Right. And even though I, I've had paranormal experiences throughout my life. I do always try to find, you know, what was that? Like, it's not that I'm skeptical, but I really just want to make sure, like, I want to cover all my bases. Confirm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a definite moment. There was no way it was in a, the way that this, you couldn't run to the other end of the shelves or anything. Like it was just a nook that this thing retreated into. Wow. That was an upper pilgrim. Lower pilgrim's a little spooky too, but I never had anything happen in there. But the most intense experience I ever had at the Athenaeum happened in the drum. Depending on, I mean, the Athenaeum's been around for a really long time, but it's always been a membership library for both men and women, which is really important to emphasize for the story. But the drum is a later structure. So I don't know why i've always gotten weird vibes from it i mean it's like it's a five foot have you ever seen um name of the rose no what is no oh you should it's a good it's a good movie and a great book by umberto echo and it's about a an isolated monastery with murders happening and because it's a it's medieval monks some of them think it's the devil but there's one monk who's saying it no it's, it's not a human. The yeah. <laughs> we're gonna find the murderer, right? And there's a labyrinthine library where the climax of the whole story happens. So it's kind of it's not quite like that, but it's very much that vibe of just like this circular, just huge book repository. And when I got to the very top, I've had kind of odd feelings there before that I just like. At one time, I thought I saw something that kept me out of there for a while where I thought like, I was just like, I feel weird. I don't feel good. And then like, I was trying to hustle out of there and I looked and I thought I saw like a Babadook. Wow. Like pre-Babadook. This was before it came out. Like when I watched the movie, I was like, that's what I saw. So the fact that I went back up there at all, I don't Mm. know why I did it. I was looking for a book, but it was just kind of like, (laughs) I could have asked someone to get it for me. Mm. but I didn't. So I was up there again on the third floor and I was kneeling down because they have, they have their own cataloging system. Like they have library of Congress and then they have a second cataloging system. That's how old this library is. So cool. This is so awesome. It's, it's a really cool place and not a lot of people know it's there. They're really trying to expand. So I was down kneeling down and I couldn't find the book, so I was going to stand up and call defeat. And as I was standing up, you know the feeling you get when you stand up too quickly? Mm -hmm. 
I didn't quite have that, but I did get like a rush, like, like you, it felt like the, the air pressure in the room kind of contracted. And when it went back to normal, I felt like there was someone standing behind me, like on me, like looking right down the back of my neck and they were pissed off. Like mm. really just a feeling of indignant rage. I, I got this real feeling of a male, angry male presence. And you know that feeling when, you, when someone's yelling at you yeah. and you just like, you're like trying to get away from it? That was the feeling I got. And so I just kind of like, was like, okay. And I just started going down the stairs. This thing followed me down the stairs. And I didn't look behind because I've seen scary movies and I know you do not look behind you. <laughs> and, but I, as I was going down, I just felt like this presence of something saying like, you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. Get out. Like I, th- I got a real feeling of like misogynistic rage, like because uh. I was a woman sort of thing and which is weird it like that's not that's not a thing that you usually get or as far as the the feeling of the name goes anyway right and so I finally like I got fed up with it like I, I can only take so much from the ghosts right <laughs> I turned around and just stood there and just said to the stairs like all right I'm going and I got this mind's eye image of just like a man in a suit with a mustache, just kind of looking at me with cold rage. Mm. And I don't like, I don't know where that came from. I, one of the things I wonder about the Athenaeum, especially because we have a book found in human skin there, <laughs> a lot of the books there, they do have a special collection for where you have to make appointments to see they're the rarest of the rare. But they also have books there that I've taken books out from the early 19th century, just that they have on the shelves for research. So who knows what's attached to these books because that many of them came from early patrons. It was like a shared library between members. Right. So I don't know what he was attached to, but it was not good. And I, I haven't been back up there. <laughs> I don't know what he was attached to which book. That's yeah. so scary. And when you say suit, I'm now thinking like 1920s. Are you like, did he look like older time period? Because when you say suit and mustache, I think. He did look in my mind's eye, st- like a starched collar. So probably 99 to 1910, kind of. And like okay. very, like he had a round face center part hair and just like a mustache and he was furious and I don't know it was just like a gross bad feeling and when I think about it I'm like ugh like I'm not so mad anymore I'm just like ugh. so yeah now I don't go back up there it's so funny because the second you said like there was a rage and like it was like a man's rage, I immediately picked up, oh, he's mad that a woman is in this library. Like, I don't know if that's just because that's the lens of my life. <laughs> but like I knew instantly this this like old misogynistic ghost doesn't want you there. And it's awesome that you just be like, guess what? I'm alive, dude. I'm going to be here. <laughs> you yeah, know, like I'm leaving. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's kind of why it's, that's why it's so odd because 
it was always, as far as I know, it was always men and women were welcome because women were, especially Bostonian women at that time, were huge patrons of the arts. And oh. Like Isabella Stewart Gardner. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a big, uh, it, it was, I mean, it's a mystery anyway, because, you know, who knows who that guy was, if he was attached to anything, or if, you know, if I just had a psychotic break, we don't know. But, <laughs> Maybe. Not, yeah. yeah, not ruling anything out, but it was just, uh, yeah, and I, it was a very isolated experience. I've never had anything like that happen there before or since. But you, and you haven't been back to that one spot since mm-hmm. that experience? Nope. Wow. <laughs> nope. I'm not doing it. I, I was, I would go in there when I was working, but it was really just a checkpoint sort of thing. So just to, to look around and I, I, I didn't, of course, tell my colleagues or my boss this, but I would just like kind of poke my head up and like, look and be like, nope, because, oh, I forgot to point out one thing about this drum. It's, uh, you can, so a lot of the shelves are very narrow and low okay and the floors are made of fiberglass i think but you can see when people are above you or below you oh which is cool but also can be kind of jarring if someone's just hanging out there and reading and then they move because you can hear it so you you can tell if someone's like creeping up on you but I didn't that time and it, it spooked me. That one really spooked me. Yeah. I want to know more about this man so yeah. we can get rid of him. <laughs> Banish him to wherever he belongs. I know. Just another dead white guy who's still <laughs> keeping us out of our places and <laughs> trying to be in control. You there. Come, come into the garage. What? What's happening? Why? What's happening in there? Get in the garage, my dude. Dude, you're not move. Cl- I Dan. don't know. Dan, move closer to the garage. No, come on. It's me. I'm. I'm not on this show, but it's our friends, Luke and and Jeff and Mike, and they do a show about music, and it's called Get in the Garage. I'm trying to do a thing here, Dan. Oh, it's a podcast that's way less creepy than I what I thought you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dan, come to the garage where we talk about all things music. And all things fun with my friends actually from home. It's fun that they're not comedians, right? Like it's weird to get like a different example of humor from normies. Yeah. People like things. Normal people that like things that like aren't like hate themselves from comedy, which is I think a glittering, uh, a glittering example of what this podcast is. It is Get in the Garage with Luke Roberge, Mike Thresher, Jeff May. They're all great. They're all got amazing uh hot takes stories opinions about the world of music right now it's a celebration it's a celebration of rock and roll and and all things beautiful and, and joyous yeah check out get in the garage comes out every week on the wasted robot network i was gonna say the i do think there's like an interesting like have you gotten vibes from like the human skin book because i feel like even just that put such a weird energy in a space and like maybe that's just me being squeamish but i'm also like that could that could complicate things i feel like uh, speaking of squeamish i've never actually experienced the skin book 
Oh, okay. You've never looked at. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they keep it. It's it's very fragile. So they if they bring it out, it's very it's like a limited event because they have to bring it back in. The thing about the skin book, though, which is funny, it's the biography of a highwayman who requested that his biography be bound in his own skin. Oh, okay. Thank gosh. I was assuming the worst. I was yeah. like prisoner <laughs> scanners. <laughs> they wanted the book to be like that. Okay. Yeah. So not, not in that, uh, not in that in instance anyway, but it's funny you bring that up because there is in like way tucked in the back of, um, upper pilgrim nearby where I saw the shadow figure. They have records and it's all there in black and white of all of the slave markets and transactions. Books, I do believe that objects especially carry their own energy yeah. and that if anything's going to radiate evil and bad vibes, like that does. So, I mean, it's full of that. And I mean, there's a lot, there's controversy over it too, because the man who founded the Athenaeum, I forget his name, or who built the building, one of the, the biggest patrons, his he has a huge full-length portrait that's of still course. up there. He was a, he, yeah, he was either indirectly involved in the slave trade or directly involved, in it, which is, I mean, in, in museums today, all museums of any of a particular age have this problem. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to interpret that or, or figure out a good way to mediate that because without these monsters, we wouldn't have this library or this museum, but that doesn't mean we should glorify them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky subject. And then you've got, and then you have people who don't care or at worst are indignant about it. You are like, oh, why do we have to talk about this? It's like, shut up. Yeah. aren't you here to learn right <laughs> time to learn that's so interesting because i um the seamus i think is no you're talking about david race he's the one who saw the ghost in philly but seamus was also on the podcast and he worked at the museum for the american revolution and i think they do a really good job they have george washington's tent and they they do this whole video and they're like how do we you know be happy about george washington when he was also slave owner you know whatever mm. So during the presentation, they talk about all this stuff. And then they do mention like the war wasn't over for a lot of the people fighting in it. People of color still had to continue to battle and fight for their right to freedom. And, you know, like it's a nice way to kind of, you know, acknowledge that part of even the American Revolutionary War. And mm -hmm. there are still people that complain about that. And I think that's like even with like this guy, like that picture, I think maybe having like a thing that says like, by the way, we appreciate this guy's donations, but just letting you know, he's, you know, yucky. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if yeah. you want to write yucky on the plaque. I think that would be <laughs> a good idea. I mean, I would, but yeah. that's why I couldn't get a job in museums. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it in a handful of ways that are really good and interpretive, but like you said, there are, I don't know, it, that, that is yucky. That is people just kind of at their worst, just being jerks to be jerks for the sake of it because you know why does this hurt you why does this affect you it doesn't yeah <laughs> at the end of the day oh. it hurts no one to be honest about history because <laughs> yeah. they're not making it up and they're not you know exaggerating it was really disgusting and right right and it's it's a it's a huge part of our history that yeah. is 
I mean, it's, you know, we can talk about, that's a whole that's other. That's another, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that is interesting. I, I never thought about books specifically carrying energy, but it makes so much sense, especially mm. for those days. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what they had. I mean, some people like it just imbued if it was their favorite book or it was in a, in an office where a lot of bad things were done, or it was a, a ledger of a slaver, like those right. things, I do believe those things carry energy. And especially because I've worked in antiques, my dad collects uh, glass, early American glass, which is luckily not that, does not absorb <laughs> the ghosts right, as much. Yeah. <laughs> but I've sure. definitely been around objects that I've just, I've had to work with, or I've had to catalog where I've just been like, uh, oh, one in particular, I was working at the, uh, this is outside of Boston, but I was working at Pilgrim Hall Museum in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where they have all of the original artifacts of the Mayflower passengers, or a good amount of them. And they have, not on display, thank goodness, it's a piece of Miles Standish's burial shroud. Okay. And like, it's in a little box, but one, one time, I forget exactly when they did it, but at one point in history, they disinterred him to resettle his grave so that they could put a bigger marker on top. It was like some anniversary. Okay. And they talked about how, in, like with the, the file on this, because a lot of what I did there was, was cataloging and digitizing. Someone mentioned that, they saw his skull and there was still red hair on it. And I was holding in my hands a piece of this burial shroud. And I, thank goodness it was in a box and on a table because I dropped it. I was yeah. just like, <laughs> put it back. Yeah. This is how we get ghosts. Do you want ghosts? Uh, <laughs> this is how you get them. Oh, man. Yeah. And I didn't get, there were no, like, there, I don't think there were any ghosts in that place, which is amazing because they also have the barrel of the gun that came, that killed Metacomet, King Philip of King Philip's war. Jeez. Allegedly that's, that's what the legend is, but they have stuff like that. So it's kind of amazing that it's not more haunted than it is. Right. You d you just get vibes off of things and it happens in museums, happens in homes, happens in antique stores. So yeah. And that's my job. That's what I do. <laughs> I love it. That's so cool. I'm so jealous. I, I love, I still go to antique stores, but I do trust my gut. Like I keep <laughs> saying intuition. Like if I pick something up and I'm like, nah, <laughs> I'm like, there's something wrong. I just think that's awesome. I, I love things that are like loved. I don't know. I find it really exciting to like know that someone was like, I'm going to do everything I can do to preserve this so someone else can love it. And then that's my job is to, to give it more, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I feel that <laughs> you get that also with portraits too. I've definitely had portraits and historic homes where you look at a person, like even just the image of a person and you get uh, like a, a feeling, you get a, a vibe sense. where it's just like, Ugh. or you get a, you look at a person you're like, ah, oh, I could hang out with this person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's okay or she's okay. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's a, about it from my Boston stories. There are, you know, a couple small things. I mean, because it is, it's a spooky city. So yeah. who knows? I, I often, when I, was, uh, when I was typing the story about the man on the common to you, 
prefacing it with the lady walking down the street in full garb, I was like, hold on a second. Could she have been a ghost? And I had a, <laughs> about five minutes of a, of a break. We talk about this with Philly. I Well, I talk about it also with, because there's like apparently like State College could be haunted where when you're in a city like this, where people do dress up, it's so hard to know. We could just be walking past ghosts like every day and just be like, nah, mm -hmm. it's, it's so easily explained away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I do. I do think about that sometimes. Like I go to a lot of vintage clothing parties, like where you dress up to a specific era. And many of these places are period to whatever party you're going to. Like, for example, there's one coming up next weekend. It's in the Crane Estate in Ipswich, Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, when you go in there, I, I had a tour thinking, okay, which one of you is a ghost? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's not me. <laughs> oh, that makes it so much more fun. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up, I would love to hear your Gettysburg story before we go. <laughs> sure. Um, this one was in... Uh, oh, it was whenever Michael Jackson died because that happened during the, to the time I was in that's, that's how I remember the year. <laughs> it's a weird bookmark, but I, so being, being the spooky nerd that I am, I brought so many film cameras to Gettysburg. This mm -hmm. was the first time I had ever gone. I was so into it. And so I had every camera. They were all strapped to me. I looked so stupid <laughs> and I took pictures everything. I got into the cracks in Devil's Den. I was five minutes away from laying down where the famous, the sniper picture is, like laying down in the same way to see what would happen <laughs> before my mother said, no, that is disrespectful and weird. Fair. <laughs> Sadly. I understand now, <laughs> but I didn't do it. And I got nothing. I got nothing mm. on my photos. It was so devastating. I got a lot of cool photos, but I got no ghosts, which was, I'm still mad about it. This was like <laughs> 15 years ago. I got to go back and try right. again. <laughs> but what did happen to me was a little bit worse. We, were we weren't staying in Gettysburg town proper. We were in an Econo Lodge <laughs> because Oh, we were going to Washington, D.C. So we were only staying there a couple of nights. And it was also leading up to the anniversary of Gettysburg. So we kind oh, of wow. got a hotel room anyway. Yeah, it was, it was getting busy when we were leaving. But so in the Econolodge, it was fine for the first few nights. I was in the room with my parents. I'm an only child. Like, I'm usually a really dead sleeper. Like, once I'm out, I'm out until morning. Mm. But I just couldn't get comfortable one night and like I finally fell asleep but this was before I learned that I absolutely need an eye mask while I sleep sure. which is another chicken in the egg of like do I need eye mask for light or is it because I'll see ghost I don't know <laughs> right I didn't have an eye mask on at this point and out of the corner of my eye I looked and there was a full-bodied but not whole soldier like a Confederate soldier standing there. And I remember it so clearly with like, there was some light coming from like, I think it was from the, uh, the alarm clock, like that right. bluish light. So it was spooky. But the weird thing about it was that 
he wasn't see-through and I couldn't see every one of his features, but I could see like his hat. I could see the outline of his uniform. That's how I could tell he was a Confederate soldier. And he, I could see his hair. I don't know if he had a mustache or not because his face was kind of obscure, but the way that I saw it, and this has happened with ghosts since then, was that he looks like kind of a developing photograph. Like Whoa. he wasn't, he wasn't all there, but he was definitely present. So how old was I? I was probably like 15, 16. I beelined it into the bathroom and I did not leave the bathroom. I had the light on. I was just <laughs> I was actually texting with my friend. I was like, oh my God, that's a ghost. But I just kind of, I don't know how long I stayed in there because I opened the door at one point to look out and he was still standing there. What did he like, want? <laughs> I don't know. He was, he was just standing there and my parents, this is so, it's so, I told my parents this later and they were, and my dad was like, well, thanks a lot. They were completely asleep and my dad's usually a really light sleeper. So I'm surprised he didn't wake up, but he did kind of. And he said, yeah, I kept waking up and you were just still in the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because there was ghost. Yeah. And I did, not, I did not go back to bed until I opened the door and saw that he was gone. So my dad's a little bit more open to these sorts of things. My mother, like yours, is definitely more of the skeptic. Mm -hmm. But also because as, as a, well, she, is, she still is Christian, I believe, but like as a last Catholic, I, I think the term is... She just doesn't want to deal with it. Just like, nope. Mm -hmm. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to think about it. Mm -hmm. So when I was describing the soldier to my dad, he was like, that's a Confederate soldier. And he's, I said, yes. And he said, oh, well, that makes sense. We're on the battle road. Okay. And I was like, my dad's a big history <laughs> buff. My dad's a Civil War dad, and he loves Gettysburg. And he was like, yeah, this is the battle road that the Confederates took going into the battlefield and their retreat coming out. And I was just like, yeah, that's what I saw, Dad. That's it. So <laughs> that's my Gettysburg story. But I really, I do want to go back there because, the, I mean, honestly, the photos that I took, it's such a beautiful and mm -hmm. unique spot yeah. that we have even though the reason we have it is the site of ungodly atrocity. Yeah. Like there were moments, I, I, it's some of the, the most beautiful moments I've seen just with the fireflies and early mm -hmm. summer, that whole thing, it's gorgeous. So I, def I do wanna go back to Gettysburg at some point. I really love that you spent all day trying to see and capture a ghost and then the second you see one you're like never mind <laughs> I, have, I have I want no part you know like you have 18 cameras sitting next to you and you're like I'm actually gonna text my friend in the bathroom <laughs> so funny. I, didn't, I didn't until this moment I did not realize oh I could have taken a picture of the ghost yeah you could have tried maybe that would have made him leave I also feel like he woke you up. If you're a heavy sleeper and you're the only one, like, I feel like he wanted to, maybe he knew you were looking. If you open yourself to stuff like that, I feel like they, sometimes they'll answer, you know, like, oh, yeah. here I am, you know. 
Yeah, and since then, I mean, I do, I, I probably should have opened with this. I do have sensitivities that- I figured, through, honestly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, through like, paranormal's been a, a, a undercurrent for my entire life. I have loads of stories. That's why I've been on so many different podcasts and I try not to repeat them. Oh, that's awesome. Because I just- yeah, I have so many in so, so many different places, but the, like, I, I've kind of been in and out of the witchy stuff my whole life. I'm in the witchy stuff now, so I'm opening back up to it again, but it's really because there have been so many instances of the paranormal that have just presented themselves to me where, yeah. like, I've had, I've been able to communicate in ways, and it, I don't consider myself a medium because if I've ever tried that, the ghosts are just like, nah. <laughs> yeah, you don't have control like that. Understood, yeah. Well, not even so much control is like, I'll ask them, hey, you want to go? And they'll be like, no. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, you know, why, why bother? It's <laughs> <was> like, okay. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I want to see ghosts. <laughs> they, I've, I've had, you know, my home, my experiences in my house, but like, I get feelings like I'll look at a space and I'll be like that something is off in that area I don't know what but I don't (laughs) see it you know what I mean I I don't I'm not that far along where I can see what it is I mean not to get too woo but it's really I I know that growing up because I was so scared of it I definitely shut myself down like I put up a lot of protective walls because I was scared and there are ways and they're different for everyone that you can kind of break down those barriers that I think people subconsciously build up just because growing up means you have to deal with reality and what's in front of you right now, not what happened years ago Mm -hmm. and whether or not it's still influencing the present. Right. There are ways to exercise that if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to figure it out. I think just being more open to it, which is what I've been working on is like communicating out loud how I'm feeling and stuff like that and we'll see because it is scary it's kind of like what you're saying with like with Gettysburg like it's hard not to react with fear even if it's something that you want to see or experience <laughs> that's what I'm sure. learning yeah and I think <laughs> in Gettysburg specifically like I don't know what I would have done if I did find a ghost on the camera I probably would just like put it away and not look at it for a <laughs> yeah, <couple days>. yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> yeah yeah, that, that was not, it was not what I expected, but now, now that I think back on it, it it's def- I think it was definitely more of a visitation than anything else. Yeah. But I don't know how to help a kid, a convert ghost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to be the one. <laughs> no, no, I do hope he finds his way home eventually, but it wasn't going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> when I, I went to Gettysburg like a month or two ago and I was so excited for the spooky stuff, but I got probably an even scarier motel than you. So I literally, when I went to bed, I locked everything and I was really scared. And I literally said out loud, I was like, if there's any ghosts that want to like keep me safe, (laughs) please, (laughs) like I'll see you guys, but I don't want to die in this motel. So I haven't obviously, but it was so scary. Like I was like trying anything. I was like, all right, ghosts, please, you know, you don't have to show yourself, but like, just, you know, make, you know, turn on the lights if someone comes in or something. Uh, But that's a different type of scary for sure. (laughs) For sure. And that's honestly, like you were talking about watching scary movies late into the night. I just did that a couple days ago, completely freaked myself out with the the whole Hell House 
series, the whole Hell House. I Hell love Hell that series. Oh gosh, yeah. so good. And I'd seen it before, so I knew it was coming, but I was just like, you know what? I want to be spooked tonight. And oh. <laughs> my boyfriend's not here. I was just by myself. Brave. Yeah, I don't <laughs> that's, know. that's where I, I crossed the line from brave into stupid, which I cross a lot. <laughs> so yeah, but I know what you mean. And uh, but that's the other thing is like, I know a lot of people don't believe and that's, that's totally fine. I'm not, I'm not here to make people believe because I think everyone has their own objective truth. And yeah. to people like at the same time, when people say like, oh, I don't believe in any of that crap. I'm just like, okay, well I can't talk to you, but no, I, I just don't talk to them <laughs> about that. Yeah, um, totally. But uh, where is I going with that? It's, it's really more of a, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's perception and it's how pe different people perceive different things. So, and I, I do believe that more people have more capabilities than others, just how some people are better at math. Some people are mm -hmm. better. Like there's so much we don't know about the human brain that, that, I mean, I'm not a neurosurgeon, not a scientist, right. <laughs> but you just don't know. What I do know is that we do not know. And that's where all of these gaps fill in for me. Absolutely. That was really well said. Yeah. Thanks. I feel like I'm blathering. So I'm glad that it makes no, sense. <laughs> I agree. It's the fact that you don't, the person who's saying it's crap doesn't know just as much as I don't know. So I like that the door is open for possibilities. Me too. I think the more things than heaven and earth, that that's, you know, that's, that's it. Shakespeare nailed it. When they talk <laughs> in master, like how there's more into the world than what's in your book, Stephen like right. nailed it. <laughs> He's pretty smart. What, he is. Yeah. What I, what I'm saying is that I try not to count anything out unless I have reason to. Mm -hmm. And that's how everyone should be. Hmm. It's just way more life is to me way more fun that way. I agree. I like going into the world with a childlike sense of wonder. <laughs> <Yeah>. And then <laughs> immediately regretting it when something happens. Running into the bathroom because it's too scary. <laughs> like a child. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, this has been so awesome. I'm so grateful that you could be a guest on the show. I this was even I knew it was going to be cool going in, but this was so much more fun than I even expected. So thank you. Thank you, Meg. Yeah, I'm glad I, I've been loving your podcast so far. I love the conversational podcast where where people like don't have the expositions, but where it's like I'm listening to a conversation. That's my jam. My jam. So yeah, thank you it's for that. like a friend goofy spooky vibe is what we're going for here <laughs> yeah and like I, I that's kind of what I said to the monster fuzz guys at one point I was just like this can be ridiculous sometimes and I love that about it but also sometimes the paranormal is ridiculous and yeah. that's where I find the humor and that's where <laughs> perhaps I don't get the best where I'm just like hey, you're dead <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> no, same. Thrown out the window. <laughs> well, that's so awesome. And where can, where can my listeners or where can anybody find you? I'm most active on Instagram at CG Burnett. And I'm currently writing a book called The Preppy Witch Primer, 
which you can find Ooh. on Instagram, either through my, my main account, CG Burnett, or its own account, uh, preppy underscore wish underscore primer. I also just opened a TikTok that's connected to the Instagram, and I'm trying. Oh, TikTok <laughs> is a nightmare. <laughs> the, the scariest of all. Anyone um, over 30 <laughs> on yeah, TikTok. I, mean, I understand it's a tool, and I'm trying. That's the thing. I'm trying not to be an old lady about it, but like, I, I just, I haven't gotten into it yet. It got me a lot. It took me a long time to get into Instagram and now mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy it as a, a tool and a communication. Like I have so many friends that I know through Instagram now. Right. And I know TikTok, TikTok has the same opportunity. I just got to get into a rhythm get and get it, used yeah. to talking out on a phone, on a bench, on my lunch break right. to no one. <laughs> and what is your book going to be about? Is it like a fictional story or? No, it's a very basic, um, that's why I call it the primer. It's a very basic book about just blanket witchcraft as we know oh, today. I love it. Okay. Yeah, modern witchcraft from the lens of particularly New England folklore and magic and folk magic and legends and all that because that's that's what I know I grew up in Massachusetts born and bred there I'm currently living in Connecticut it's uh that's really what I what I practice myself to as a practicing witch and I like it like what I'm trying to and this is why it's kind of hard to nail because I've been trying to make it accessible and fun for people who wouldn't normally be into that sort of thing because I've been, I I have family from Salem, like I grew up going, visiting and all that. And just up until, you know, the the most recent time I've been there, there are all these people who like really want to get into it and they're interested and they have no idea what questions to ask. And they look at these books like, there are all different cliques of witchcraft, especially in Salem, Mm -hmm. but like they're all different types of witchcraft. You've got your goth witches, you've got your earth witches, you've got (laughs) all all types of witches, but Mm -hmm. they can be, they can be intimidating and hard to approach. So what I'm trying to do with preppy witch primer is just be like, okay, so here it is. Here's how it relates to you. And the thing about Massachusetts in general, at least from one of my areas of studies is colonial Massachusetts. So the Puritans, And there's just so much that we still, especially in New England, have around us culturally. I call it post-Puritanism, that the culture of New England and Massachusetts in general is still is a more secular version, but it's very much like what it was. And there's a lot of overlap, too, with that as far as the ghosts go, as far as witchcraft goes, because one thing that we always forget about the Puritans in particular was that they 100% believe this crap. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they did. 100%, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, that's, you know, it's a very eloquent way of putting it, but that's how I, that's how I want it to be explained to people who otherwise wouldn't know, because not everyone gets the exposure to it. So especially if you come from a, you know, preppy waspy background, you might just not know where the connections are. And there are many. I love that. I'm definitely going to pick up your book because I, I also am trying to get into witchcraft slowly, but surely I'm making my first 
protection jar this weekend actually so we'll see how it goes i know i like looked it up and um but it is it is very overwhelming i think the reason it's taken me so long is it's 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 the beginner steps aren't really there like i'm finding spells and they're like don't do this unless you have experience and i'm like well i don't and i'm scared so all right i'll just keep watching so i love that idea i'm definitely gonna follow the page and I, i can't wait to read the book that sounds like so much fun Thank you. Yeah, I'm hoping to get it out by this fall. Uh, it's I I had blocked off time in the in the spring to like really get it done because I've been working on it for about a year and a half now, like wow. really working on it. But also that was during pandemic time, so I was trying to like also make money. And then right. as soon as I had set aside two full months just to get it done, I got a full time job. Uh, of course. So, yeah, <laughs> and had to move, so I was like, okay, well this is delayed. And since it's just right. me, I'm not really on any deadlines. It's going to be it's it's going to be published through um, Old Salt Box Publishing, oh, cool. um, and that's that's lenient to say the least because yeah, you know, it's just just the way that time time runs now. So thank you. Yeah, it's uh, that's kind of one of the things I want to dispel about um, what people, especially now because witchcraft is so trendy. I, when I look through the witch hashtag witch talk, there are so many conflicting messages that mm-hmm. people get mm-hmm. and it's completely subjective. Unless you are, you know, hardcore Gardnerian, hardcore Alexandrian Wiccan and which all, I mean, we, there's a, a place in Salem called House Witch. That's one of my favorite shops. And they have a pin that says I was a teenage Wiccan. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Check out House Switch if you're if you're a beginner because they're really good about they will explain everything to you. They're awesome. Shout out to House Switch. But if if you're not, um, yeah, if you haven't been reading that stuff since you were a kid, there's a lot of conflicting stuff. There's a lot of stuff that you definitely shouldn't do, but really more because appropriation and cultural appropriation, especially, is such a problem. That's really important. But then I, I see people like doing real hardcore gatekeeping and re- like, you know, just giving people not false information, but just not being welcoming in the way that is not also intimidating. Like you've got your love yeah. and light gals where, where it's like, how are you this calm? <laughs> yeah, it's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work for me. No. So it's really all about finding your own path. And there are, you know, you, you do it through, through practice. That's really the only way, like anything right. else. I'm glad that you're giving people, because it is about practice, but it's like, it's nice to have a starting point of what that practice should be and knowing you're safe in like a nice environment, because it's just like any other thing. It's hard at first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're dealing with concepts, if you've, if you've grown up in a religious background, that's a huge yeah. hurdle to jump and that's fine. But also my, my thing that I stand with is like, you don't need to completely write that out of your life. Like if you have a, an attachment to the Virgin Mary, I have a friend who her grandmother was, she called herself hardcore Catholic her entire life. She was a huge neo-pagan before neo-pagan. <laughs> <laughs> All different types of goddesses and godlike yeah. statues that my friend has since inherited. But she was like, no, I'm a Catholic and I love the Virgin Mary, but she saw the Virgin Mary as a goddess. Right. And worshiped her accordingly so it's uh yeah and you know so you don't need you I, i'm very much uh, and some people really are 
but I'm very much about taking what works for you and bits and pieces, because whatever helps you to live a more spiritually fulfilling life, I think is good in general. That's what blew my mind about which like witchcraft when I was like it looking up spells that you can use Christianity. Cause I, you know, I came from like a religious household and like listening to people use holy water and spells and bring crucifixes and have saints that they like leave gifts to that just like made me so mm-hmm. excited. Cause I still wanted a part of it. I don't know. This is a whole nother, <laughs> this isn't also another yeah. episode of it, but it, it really opened yeah. my eyes. I did not think that the two could mix and it's a nice oh. world that they can. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, as far as spirituality goes anyway, I don't, I don't subscribe to saying like, or thinking like anything that somebody believes is BS because right. that's, you know, that's its own form of gatekeeping and we don't need that. So for, if you want, for example, um, one of the people I use, and I'm not, that's the thing. I'm not Catholic. I was not confirmed. My mother was Catholic, but I was pretty much loosely brought up, loosely Protestant, but I still, one of my favorites is St. Francis. I love St. Francis (laughs) because he loved the animals. He did. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about that. And, uh, St. John Dark, like all, all Joan of Arc really into. So Yeah, you just, you pick what works for you. And also when you do that, it's, you can get around a lot of the like nastier bits of one, another huge problem in witchcraft in particular today is transphobia. Mm. And so you can find ways to sidestep that. There's always ways to make your own practice more inclusive. And I, I, I mean, I don't like to say woke and that's but just to like be respectful and you can experience things but it you know you that's that's another episode entirely i'm sorry there's no that's okay but yeah yeah Yeah. and like that's why when i was writing my book in particular as i'm writing my book i keep in mind because i i really i'm trying to make it for everyone but because my lens is what it is that's how i try to present it in that like you know post-puritan whole whole thing this is how i see it but you you know thank you so much again for being on the show this was really great and um thanks for listening guys (laughs) thanks so much meg have a good night real chills is produced by meg getz and Alyssa chaskowski the show is edited by dan getz theme music by sam williamson and artwork by buffy the design slayer Subscribe where you get podcasts and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Real Chills Podcast. Slide into those DMs with your true scary stories. Real Chills Podcast is a member of the Wasted Robot Network. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com slash podcasts.